Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm actually going to start with a quote from John Wesley, so don't throw anything at me. But John Wesley once said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen, they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Basically, John Wesley here is describing the early church that we encounter in our lesson from Acts. There were about 120 people. They were, where we read, of one accord, and they were devoting themselves to prayer. Today is the seventh Sunday of Easter, the 43rd day of the Easter season. 50th day is coming next Sunday. That is the day of Pentecost. In this lesson from Acts, the disciples had just seen the Lord ascend, and now they are awaiting the Holy Spirit, which will come, we know, on the day of Pentecost. They don't know when. They just know that they're waiting. But the Holy Spirit would come upon them as promised. And this would occur on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, added to that 120 people would be 3,000 men saved that very day by, by Peter's preaching. Wow, I mean, that sounds like a lot of growth. How can we accomplish that? How can we emulate that and do that? and have that kind of growth. Oh, there are all kinds of ringmasters running around today that would tell you how they grew their circus. New forms of worship. Throw out the old. Forget our heritage. We got to do something to attract the young people. These are people who have no knowledge or respect or reverence for the divine service for the transcendence of God. No reverence for what is actually happening in the divine service. And that's not the witness of the early church. Their growth was based on unity of doctrine. It was based on the faith. Not the Christian faith. There is only one faith, and that was the faith that their unity was based on. And their growth was based, of course, on the working of the Holy Spirit. Let me talk about unity. The disciples, we read, were of one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. That, that, uh, this theme ripples through the rest of our lessons as well. In Psalm 133, how good and pleasant It is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. This image of anointing oil, which, as we read this morning in our Old Testament lesson, was like a gallon and a half of oil for anointing all of the vessels and Aaron and the priests. It's running down over the head, onto his beard, down onto his clothing onto his ephod and robes. It's, 
It's running down over everything. And this is a picture. This is an image of God's blessing in, in the Holy Spirit pouring down on us and covering all of us. Indeed, unity is good and pleasant. And here it is described in this way, flowing down and covering us. And this is a unity that is secured by the Holy Spirit who descends upon us. He comes to us. He has come to each one of you in your baptism. He comes to us through the word and the sacrament. But it's difficult for us to have unity. Sure. I mean, it is. Unity is not an easy thing. Why? Because we have a sinful flesh. We want to have things our own way. We can be very selfish. We want everything to be just the way we want it to be. But that's not what Jesus taught. When in the gospel lesson, we, Jesus praying to God refers to his glory. What is he talking about? The glory, the same glory that he gave us. That's the glory that we see on the cross. It is a selfless glory. It's a glory of saying, I can put you before myself. That is the selfless glory that God gave Jesus, that Jesus has given us. It's not glory as in, I'm going to put myself on a pedestal. It's, that's the way the world sees glory. That's not God's design for glory. He laid down his life for those that were the least, for us. And he was pleased to do it because that was in accordance with God's saving will. That is the glory that is revealed in the cross, and that is the glory that he has given to us. Nevertheless, nevertheless, we do struggle with unity. Why? And how can we have unity? Well, first of all, we can have unity taking a cue from the apostles by sticking with God's word. The doctrine that is taught in the scripture is the basis of our unity. Oh, but... Doctrine divides. Haven't you heard that, Pastor? Doctrine can be divisive. Of course it is divisive. It separates right from wrong. It separates truth from error. It separates lightness from darkness. So yes, doctrine is divisive in that sense, but it's unifying in that it brings us all together so that we may be of one accord. And what a blessing that is, as the psalmist says, to be of one accord. Perhaps a better question that we should ask is, how can we not be united? Is, how is it possible that we wouldn't be united? I mean, we, we come together, we pray together, we, we, lift, we lift our concerns to each other, and then we We pray to God individually throughout the week. We're praying for one another. Help them to heal. Grant them safe travel. Help them with their raising their children. Help them in their marriage. We pray for one another. And when we have a concern, we raise that to each other. And a lot of times we'll take prayer concerns and we're like, please, the more people that could be praying for us, the better, right? 
We want as many people as possible praying for us. And we're comforted knowing also that there are all these people that are praying for us in our moments of of trial and tribulation. I want you to listen for a moment to Jesus' prayer. This This is what is happening in our gospel lesson. Jesus is praying to God the Father. And this is his prayer, a portion of it. I do not ask for these only, that would be the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. We are those who believe in the Messiah, in Jesus the Christ, because we've heard the word of the apostles. They are the eyewitnesses. We aren't. But those eyewitnesses have handed down their word faithfully to us that we encounter in the scriptures And that's Jesus praying for you and for me, for all of us, for all believers. And he goes on to say that they may all be one. In fact, that they may become perfectly one. This is Jesus' prayer for us. Jesus is praying this for us. He did pray this for us, that we would be united, that we would be of one accord, that we would be, in fact, perfectly one. That's why I think the better question is, how could we not be unified? Jesus prayed that. It's the will of the Father that we be unified. How could we not be? And the answer is, if you're scratching your head saying, yeah, why is that? Why are there divisions in the church? That, that, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it's the Father's will, and Jesus prayed to the Father and said, let them all be one. Why are there any divisions in the church? Well, the answer is that, in fact, we are unified. Is, 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 that's a statement of fact. We are, in fact, unified. And this is a unity that is tight, just as Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That was the Savior's prayer for us. Now we're called to outward unity, and when we see division within the church, what is it that we're seeing? Division in Christ? No. There is no division in Christ. There is an outward division in the church, and that's lamentable, and we should work to change that. We should work in an ecumenical way to bring all of the Christian church together because we are called to have that outward unity. Now, it would be a lie to say that that outward unity doesn't ex- or that that outward that there that the outward unity exists where it does not exist. So we can't just throw our doctrine off to the side and then let the presbyterians throw their doctrine away and let's just come together and say that we're all part of the same church. No, we need to confess in truth that there are some divisions between us that are Regrettable, lamentable, not in accord with God's will. Nevertheless, those divisions exist, so they are there. But we are drawn to be together in perfect unity because, in fact, all believers in Christ are in unity. Even though our sin and in this world there is outward unity, we are, in fact, united in Christ. So we have an inward unity in Christ, even when there's an outward unity. Now, as we come together to confess the faith, we do so in unity. As we receive the sacrament, we do so in unity. And we confess this unity. Let me see. There are three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twen
Okay, there's 15 of you here in this room besides me. That's 16. So there's 16 in, in this room today. And there are others that are not present. They're traveling or they're sick, but they're not with us today. It is also Memorial Day weekend. But they are united with us, nevertheless. There are some listening now who are not present, but God's will is that they will be united with us. And the sinful pessimism that lies within us jeers. You're not enough. 16 of you? That's not enough to do anything. Are you kidding me? That's a joke. Sinful pessimism. Well, yeah, actually, that's true. There's not enough of us. And in fact, it's also true that the 120 disciples that Peter preached to, there wasn't enough of them either. Even when they picked up 3,000 people in one day on Pentecost, that wasn't enough. The 100 preachers that John Wesley wanted, that wasn't enough. A billion people is not enough. Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus is the one who suffered and died for your sins, who has been raised for your justification. And we have been given the name of Jesus to proclaim, and that is what is needed. It's not a thousand people. It's not a billion people. It is one person, Jesus Christ. And it is that name that we are to proclaim, and it is that name by which the church is built. Because where his name is proclaimed, God, the Holy Spirit, is present. And God will work faith in those whom he will work faith in. The world around us has issues. We see that from tragic events all around us. Not even just this past week or the week before. But there are tragic events galore. We see a sickness that's propagated by sin. We see a sickness that's propagated by broken families, drugs, failure in the government schools. But our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. John Wesley implied that you need not fear anything but sin. In that quote, I mean, I like the quote. That's why I used it. But there are some issues with it. So he says, you know, give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin. You don't even have to fear sin. You do not need to fear sin because Christ has overcome your sin and the sin of the whole world. With joy, proclaim this message to yourselves. Say this message to yourself. Shake your finger back at Satan and say, I know you're right about my sin, but you're wrong about my Savior. Yes, I sin, and yes, he died for my sin. And yes, guess what? You sinned too. And you can say that to anyone that you ever meet. And you're not being self-righteous when you say that either. You're, tell- you're, not, telling any- you're not telling them anything they don't already know. People have a guilty conscience. Why? Because they know what's right and wrong deep down. The best we can do as people is suppress the truth 
in unrighteousness. That's what Paul teaches in Romans 3. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But deep down, we know what's right and wrong. So you're not telling anyone anything they don't already know. So say it with conviction. Yes, you are a sinner. But also say it with conviction, with hope. But Jesus Christ died for your sins. And that means something. When you understand, yeah, I'm not perfect, then you understand I need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is your Savior. Proclaim this message to yourselves. Proclaim it to others. Speak these words of law and gospel to the people that you interact with, within your family, within the whole world. Speak this. This is God's word. This is, as we talked about on Thursday, this is the preaching in his name. It's preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to close with the words of Jesus spoken in prayer to the Father as we heard in the gospel lesson. This is a portion of his prayer. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. And on the seventh Sunday of Easter, I say, come Holy Spirit. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.